Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and let's begin by calling in the ancestors to join us here today. May all those who bring that which is good and true and beautiful in our ancestral lines join us here today. Bring us our lineage, our inheritance. Bring us all that we need to be able to learn from those who have gone before us, that we might go forward in a way that allows us to create something new to forgive what must be forgiven, to heal what must be healed, and to go forward in a way that truly manifests the dreams of our ancestors and allows us to bring forward the gifts that are being called out by the descendants who are coming. So we call out to the ancestors to join us here today, and particularly those ancestors that held true to shamanic paths and were initiated along the way as we uh, struggle here and uh, can create here a new and renewed understanding of what initiation actually means in a contemporary life and how we can recreate initiations that will allow the transformations that need to happen to happen to bring us into a place of power in our lives. So we call out to those ancestors who were wondering when we were going to wake up and get it in the first place to join us here today and to help us to wake up and understand what it is that we need to know to go forward in a better way that we might become spiritual adults in this lifetime and make better quality decisions for all life on this planet. So we call out to the earth below to be with us here today and we give great thanks to that beautiful being that dreamt life as we know it into existence on this planet. We give thanks to her for home. We give thanks for connection and interconnection, for oneness with all things and for belonging. Give thanks to those who connect with us in all different shapes and forms and walks of life. And we give thanks for the amazing peace in this earth walk, which is our ability to change and transform and to do things differently the next time. So we give thanks to the earth for the miracle of life. And may we go forward today in a way that expresses that miracle in our thoughts and words and deeds. And with our feet firmly planted on the beautiful earth and our ancestors gathered round, may we reach up to the sky energies and call in the energy of the true archetypal father, calling in blessings to these proceedings today and calling in protection that we might be safe to hear things we don't want to hear and learn things we might not want to learn and to say things that have not yet been spoken. We give thanks for protection and blessing and generosity and abundance and for all the energy that comes in from the sky made illuminate the way for us here today. So as the energy of the earth and the sky come together within each one of us, I call out to everyone listening to this show. I call out to the energy of the heart to join us here today and may the heart be that powerful place of transformation that it is in the unique way that it brings up the passions of the belly and brings down the clarity and inspiration of the mind and merges them in a way in our heart that we might know why we are here, that we might create the ways to bring those gifts to the world and that we might do so in a way that is good for all living things in all forms. So for with this spiritual assistance here today, we give thanks and may these proceedings be good for all life. I want to give thanks to the Last Mass community for their donations that make this show possible and give thanks to our listeners who are beginning to donate, especially to Mark and Sun and Sharon. 
And if you find the show valuable and you would like to donate even a dollar, um, you can go to the whyshamanismnow.com website and click on the support button. Feel free to donate any amount at all, large or small, because truly every single dollar goes straight to keeping the show on the air and keeps the Aini flowing amongst us all. So, without further ado, I would like to introduce today's guest, Jean-Luc Edwards. Welcome, Jean-Luc. Welcome. Thank you very much. Jean-Luc is our final guest in our series um, I'm calling the Initiation Series, where we are exploring the hypothesis that it is the lack of initiation that is at the root of many of our cultural sicknesses. And it is my hope in hearing the stories of a diverse range of contemporary initiated shamans and their initiation experiences that we will be able to remember what initiation truly means and begin to understand then how we might bring it back into our contemporary world to help our children move through that gate into true adulthood. So Jean-Luc is an ordained reverend shaman among other things that have letters behind them like MAs and PhDs. But he is an ordained Reverend Shaman of the Wolven Path, which is a rebirth of an ancient Celtic Druidic form of shamanism. And he practices in British Columbia, Canada. We were just discussing precisely where that is in Canada. Um, uh, But I do know it's a very beautiful place. So I just want to say a little bit more here about the society so everyone can locate uh, Jean-Luc's teachings in cyberspace. So um, you would want to go to Circle of Great Mystery, and this is the Sacred Circle of the Great Mystery School, which is a very big mouthful, Jean-Luc, I must say. <laughs> Nonetheless, <laughs> the society serves to not only maintain the ripples of shamanic processes outward into the world community, but in a small way to be one of the pebbles that creates those ripples. The Sacred Circle of the Great Mystery Society is a shamanic society that aims to reflect the worldwide community of shamanic practice and the unifying harmony between the spirit and the mundane, heaven and earth, and the inevitable living destiny of the journey therein. So much, much, much more about the society can be found um, on the internet at circleofgreatmystery.com. So while you are all are clicking away and going to the beautiful web pages there, um, We'll proceed here. Now, John Luke, normally at this stage, I ask my guests, well, as you know from our prior experience, um, what are the truly pivotal moments that have brought you to be the person that you are today? But since that's the topic of our whole show, let's start in a different place, which is, would you share with us a normal day in the life of Jean Luke, the shamanic practitioner? <laughs> I love asking shamanic practitioners to present a normal day, since, of course, our days are not normal. But nonetheless, um, this just gives the listeners a, a sense not only of you know what a day is in the healing and teaching practice of Jean-Luc, but also I hope people are starting to see how diverse we all are as practitioners as they've listened mm-hmm. to me ask this question to many different people. So walk us through a normal imaginary day um, in the shamanic practice of Jean-Luc Edwards. A normal day. <laughs> well, I get up and I drink copious amounts of coffee. Now, that's a, a somewhat of a private joke between Christina and I, but I, I, I am not a good morning person. So the day starts with the sacred ritual of the coffee bean, taking the dogs for a walk, standing outside and walking upon the earth. I live on the side of a mountain, so sort of get it easy to connect with 
the mother and the trees and the sky and the birds. That's my morning ritual. I then usually start almost immediately dealing with work. And my work is around answering hundreds of emails a day, asking for healing, asking for guidance, asking for information about reaching a different way of life. I have um, a fairly large apprentice body, and so I usually spend most of my day working with them via emails and telephones. And in amongst all that, people come and see me, and they will come and see me from anything from a fairly basic form of clinical psychology. I, I am a qualified psychologist. And within that, because one of my practices is not to be a clinical psychologist, but people come and see me because I put myself out there as a shamanic psychologist. So people will come to understand a much deeper part of themselves based on a psychology model that opens a way to their relationship, an intimate relationship with spirit, which maybe they didn't have in the beginning, and that's why they come to me. And that day will then go on till around about seven, eight o'clock in the evening, where I'm afraid then I switch everything off and hide. That's <laughs> a usual day for me. Not very exciting. And I think that's important because there are days which may not be so normal when I, in our tradition, I would put on the appropriate garments. I would paint my face blue. I would light fires. I would sing to the stars through smoke. The almost Hollywood image of the primal shaman that's part of my that's part of my practice too that just doesn't happen every day normally my shamanic practice is sitting with people talking with people getting them to feel the touch of spirit maybe through my hands maybe through their own hands maybe through walking in the forest it's 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 not the most spectacular life i think people think it's going to be this unbelievable thing but of course for me and for we're talking about shaman who have chosen to be initiated into a particular tradition. Those very mundane things are, are those magic. That's just as good as painting your face blue and sticking feathers in your hair. <laughs> so as you reflect on your life, um, uh-huh. and the, and the initiation, since I'm sure there's actually been more than one that have brought you to, to the place of mastery that you are today, what do you feel was the most, well, if, if we look at initiation as being meaningful and authentic, if we're transformed by it, Mm -hmm. um, initiation as, as a, as an event of transformation, um, Mm -hmm. to sort of separate it from the fact that if we're paying attention, you know, we, we get changed by life. And if we're paying attention, we get changed by different trainings that we do. Um, mm-hmm. however, I think that there's a scale of transformation. Well, I just say in my own life experience, my initiatory experience is on a scale that is over and above all of the deep, 
um, change and transformations that I've received in trainings and trips to different countries and life itself. And so that's what I'm kind of trying to get at is those those moments or events or sometimes longer periods of time that that truly transformed you on a scale over and above the ordinary I'm engaged in life paying attention and being transformed by it kind of person. If I look back at my life, I can I can find those places where I paid attention. And in that paying attention, almost like the moment after that focus of attention, I could sense that something was different. And I think one of the things about initiation is that it is a mark that something is changing. And the degrees of initiation are relative to how much is changed. There's this little statement in um, in the Catholic Catechism, sorry if that's upsetting anybody, that says, <laughs> that asks the question, what is a sacrament? And this is something that I actually teach all my apprentices, that the concept of sacrament is, in essence, the ideology of initiation. The little book then goes on to say that a sacrament is an outward sign, a manifestation, an act that's visible through the senses of inward grace, of a relationship with spirit that wasn't there before or we never noticed before. And so for for me, initiation is that moment where everything stands still and the focus is highlighted by by a sacramental ritual. Now, that could be one that's been contrived by an external shaman or priest, or it could be that moment when I'm standing outside with the dogs and everything stops and a single leaf will fall and that becomes the most powerful initiation ritual, far more powerful than the initiation rituals I've been through where I've been bled, I've been marked, I have been buried, I have been stripped naked, I have had mud painted all over me. I've done all those and they were powerful. But I think they are a sign, not that something is happening, that something has already happened. I think one of the things that we have come to expect in life is to do things to make things happen. In shamanism, that's not quite the case. In shamanism, we do things to celebrate, to mark the sacred moment after the event. When we come to talk about initiation, the magic of initiation is that gathering, whether it's you and one person, you and a group of people, you in the trees, to say something wonderful, something magical, something sacred has happened. And the way we rush around in modern society today, driving ourselves to make things happen, that's what we forget. We forget to see those symbols, those rituals, those initiations to say, stop. See, you have changed. See, something has already happened. That's what we're, that's for me, that's what we're missing. When we're talking about uh, developing ourselves into an in, into spiritual adulthood, 
it's become almost a reflection of uh, traditional child to adulthood that the child in today's society is rushing to be adult and doesn't stop to see how it's changing. And the adults who are also continuing to rush don't stop. And so we've got rid of our, our rituals to stop us. Initiation is a standing still for a moment, stopping everything. It's that moment of sacred stillness, silence and serenity that says, pay attention, something has happened. Not that something is going to happen, not even that something is happening. Something has happened. That's the mark of shamanic initiation. So, Jean-Luc, can you share, because I'm listening and part of what I'm seeing is the, the talking about um, initiations that are sort of shaped by tradition or by other already initiated shamans or whatever, but planned, sort of. And then yeah. those that happen spontaneously. Um, and I was wondering if you would share with us, without giving away secrets that can't be shared, um, a couple stories. So maybe one such... Um, initiation that was meaningful for you that was a uh, part of the tradition or orchestrated in that sense. I don't mean that in a bad way. And then another that was more, it just happened. Just to tell a couple stories. The just happened. I mean, as we're talking, I'm, the, there are two or three dozen rushing to my head of the just happening And because we talked about the little Catholic catechism book, the next story, which happened in my late teens at the time, wasn't as meaningful as I thought it was. In in hindsight, it was one of the most magical moments. But I remember uh, being in a church at one of the more... Um, bizarre Catholic ceremonies, not your not usual run-of-the-mill Catholic ceremonies, it's one of the more bizarre ones. I think there were about a dozen people in the church. It was evening, it was quite dark, it was a winter, so they hadn't switched the lights on. It was a late Sunday evening, so the, the church had already had mass throughout the day, so the church had that smell of incense, that feel that lots of people had passed in and out of, burning candles. And I was kneeling there. um, And I remember thinking to myself, I'm actually not sure what I'm doing here. That was the question. If I look back, that was the question in my head. Not, I'm not sure where I'm going. I'm not sure what I should do next. But I'm not sure what I'm doing here. And then the choir started singing. Um, the priest came out. And in this particular ceremony, the priest is is usually robed in unbelievable finery. You, know, you tend to see his head and he, that gets lost in all the vestments that he's wearing. They're not just the regular vestments. They're quite profound. Lots and lots of candles burning. Um, lots of assistance on the altar. It was, it was a spectacular piece of Catholic theatre. And there's a moment where the priest reaches onto the altar and 
his hands are wrapped in white linen and he takes hold of a, a monstrance. A monstrance is a, is, a, is a form of reliquy, but this one is specific that it actually holds the sacramental bread and wine. And there was a moment where he turned around, he turns around and he, he holds this up and presents it to the congregation. There were 12 of us. Um, and there's lots of chanting. So by now I could look back and think, yes, well, we've all been put into a slightly altered state of consciousness. But I remember, and I'm remembering a long time ago, so I think I'm allowed to put a little bit of drama into it. Well, of course. But I remember that through one of the stained glass windows, there was a sunbeam and it hit this monstrance dead center. And in the darkness of this sort of dim twilight of the church, this monstrance exploded into an unbelievable light. And in my head is the question, what am I doing here? And this light just enveloped me. I remember, much to the embarrassment of the people next to me, I remember bursting out crying. So much so that I do remember this priest who, for a moment, lost his composure and sort of did this glare at me. How dare I make this much noise? And then, then it was all over. It was all gone. And I was so moved. And to that day, I, I thought this was a, a great calling from God. I thought this was a, a direction I had to go in. But I missed. It took many years later for me to understand not what had happened, but the question that was in my head, which is, what am I doing here? And there was this moment of almost affirmation of the doubt, almost an affirmation that it was actually okay to ask that question. It was okay in that moment to be empty. And for me, uh, many, many years later, that emptiness was the sacrament. As a shaman of my own tradition, we are taught to be empty continuously so that the spirits have a vessel to speak through. And that moment, that magical moment, was an initiation to say, stop, something has already happened. You didn't ask a question. You made a statement. Here is what has happened. And what had happened was... I had not realized that the question was saying to me, I'm empty, I'm, I'm ready to receive new information. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a hard disk, I'm a new computer, download information. That was, I'm kind of getting a bit tearful now just thinking about it. That was, I don't often get to talk about things like that. So one of the things that wasn't contrived or one of those accidental things was, was such an event. Uh, and I, Perhaps, you know, even now I'm thinking about it, I, I need to go and just reflect on a little bit more. Contrived ones are much more, are much more, are much more contrived. Um, well, and, and the, the, the contrived sets the context, so it's already placed somewhere. These spontaneous ones, it takes a long time sometimes to sort it all out because it's there mixed in with ordinary life. And maybe the... I don't know. What are we going to say? Are we going to say that 
these spontaneous, are we going to say the same of all initiations, whether they're the spontaneous ones or the ones that we work towards? Are we going to say the difference is the spontaneous one, we don't live in a community who recognizes that. The contrived ones, they're happening in a community who are acknowledging the change. Because I was going to say, with all initiations, do we have to wait and look back at them the way I've just done with this one? I don't think that's true. I think the spontaneous ones are only the ones we have to go look back and look at and reflect on because our community is not used to these outward signs of inward grace. We're not used to them. We're not used to them. We're not used to seeing that perhaps all initiations are contrived, even the spontaneous ones. The spontaneous ones are contrived, but we're not aware of who's contriving them. The contrived ones, contrived's not a good word, the contrived ones, we've sort of put ourselves in. And so we're ready for uh, the painting with mud or you know, someone sticking pins or knives in you, all those things. We're ready for it. We've got ourselves geared up for it. Because we've come to assume we're in a community that says something's going to be different after this. The spontaneous one, we have to keep going back and looking and thinking, well, what changed? What changed? And I really think it's because we don't, we, we've forgotten to be a community of spirit to think, actually, that's what's supposed to happen. You know, the, the, the priest, even the priest looked at me as if to say, oh, what are you doing? What's that noise mm-hmm. for? Uh, everyone was embarrassed. I'm, actually, I was embarrassed too. I, 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 was, I, was, I was kind of a, a terrorizing 80-year-old. And I, it was a shock to me that I actually had that depth of feeling at that moment. And shut it down really quickly. I do remember shutting it down really quickly. And I think yeah. it's because we're talking about the, the, the transition from spiritual childhood to spiritual adulthood. And if we're thinking about childhood to adulthood, it's the preparation of the community around it to allow that child to step into that place. And if we go back to the spiritual concept, is there an adult, a spiritual adult community that is there, open arms, accepting everything and being part of the ceremony that moves the child into that community. I don't want to be pessimistic, but I'm not quite sure we're there yet. Well, I'm not quite sure we're there with either, (laughs) but yes. I think we Um, were. I think we were. uh, I think we were. I mean, you know, the very fact that we, I'm sorry, Christina. I was going to say, I often sort of juxtapose in my mind, um, in Zulu shamanism, that training is very organized and you, you move through certain levels. And what's interesting about it, I, I love the efficiency of it, which is at certain levels, if you, didn't, if you weren't able to manifest sort of the next level of the training, um, you, you were honored for the practitioner that you you were at the level you could manifest. So let's say all you could do was become a diviner. Um, mm-hmm. So then you were honored and you sort of came out of the training and now you were honored as a diviner in that initiation ceremony. And then the other people in your group would keep going and, and they might come out as, you know, healers of a certain kind. A couple mm-hmm. people might like tap out there. That's who they were. That was their calling. So there was no, 
um, I think in contemporary world, there's also this sort of sense of we have to go through all the classes or we don't graduate. What I loved about this Zulu uh, system, which was very orchestrated by the shamans, who are also looking to see, is this initiate being worked by spirit? I mean, it's not that the the human shamans were doing it. It's just they, they were guiding that process. So it was very you know orchestrated. But the beauty of it is that people kind of popped out of that training, which could be eight or nine or ten years um, at different levels as, you know, good practitioners at that, at whatever your gift was. And then the training would continue for those who had even more to develop. And so I look at that as this really beautiful example of that sort of orchestrated initiatory process for shamans. And then I look at my life where I have this, you know, three-day break with reality in the middle of Manhattan. You know, there was no community around to figure out what was going on. What did it mean? And so what had happened? You know, so what got marked here? What had happened? And then what that meant took me years to come to understand because there, there was no community there um, holding that context and, and, and remembering what any of it meant, frankly. And so I think these – and I guess part of what I'm – wanting to talk about just in this whole series is that both of these kinds of initiations are real. And so what is it that makes an initiation authentic? And, and so what I've been looking at and what you've been talking about is that it transforms us in some way mm-hmm. and uh, that we can go. reflect on and go, huh, you know, I'm really not that person I was before. Can't go back. And sometimes I, a response to that is sort of like, well, shit. <laughs> now well, what? Well, yes. Well, yes. You know, I, you know, the very first thing I say to all my new apprentices is, if you want to leave, leave now. But actually, it's too late. I will run right. through the structure of, they come for about four years. And I hadn't considered us to be Zulu shaman, but they have, they can leave during those four years. And they leave not just well, tough luck, you didn't make it. But they leave with various titles. We have our, our first group graduating ooh, ooh, tomorrow, what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> oh, God, I haven't gotten that. Uh, and they will graduate. They've, they've completed their first 13 months, their first lunar cycle. And they, will, they are now being, in a sense, initiated as healers. They could leave. As healers, they would go on, they they take the next level, and they would always be healers, whether they complete the next section or not. And so we do that, and, and right up to the end, when they come for four years, where they get the blood and the blue paint and all that crazy stuff, which, of course, you've sort of witnessed. Um, one of the things I was talking to uh, someone who came and saw me yesterday one of those spontaneous that things came to my head. It was a young man who was making all these plans about who he was going to be when he became an adult. He was 20-ish. This is who I'm going to be when I, make an, when I become an adult. And so here are all these things I'm going to do. And I sat with him and said, how on earth are you going to do all those things in order to become this one thing? And he sat and looked at me for a little while. And what I said to him, 
and I'm hoping I'm going to get it right because it's one of those things I say and I wish someone was there writing it down for me. And what I said to him was that he had to think about himself as an archer. And as an archer, which is most important, the target or the aim? And he had to have a long think about that and couldn't work it out. And I think when we come to talk about initiations and changes in life, what this man had was lots and lots and lots of aims. I'm not sure whether he had enough arrows in his quiver, but he had lots of aims. But he only had one goal. And I think that's, that's how society is today. We have lots of aims. We believe that we've got hundreds of arrows in our quiver. And we're constantly shooting at this one goal. And that's what people have come to expect. What people don't expect is actually we need just one aim. We can have a multitude of targets, but we need one aim and one arrow. We may not hit all the targets, but we'll hit something. And I think when we come to talking about transition and the acceptance of community, community has come to expect that we're all being driven to a purpose, to a single goal. And we've got so used to putting that on our head that we miss the serendipitous moments of a variety of aims. We miss the sacredness of life. We miss, you know, we want an initiation ceremony to say my life is changed and I'm going to go to a, a say one of our ceremonies. It's four or five hours long. People are going to be buried. They're going to have drink nasty stuff. They're going to have stuff poured over them. They're going to have tattoos on them. All that stuff. And people are going to say, wow, that's just that's just amazing. And what they do is they miss that moment where the world stops for one whole moment and a leaf strikes them on their on their arm. Because they are so goal orientated. That's how we lose the sacredness of initiation. That's how actually we, we never grow up. We never make that transition from childhood to adulthood. We're constantly caught in a childish place with expectations of the one goal. And we miss the fact that we live in a world that's diverse. We live in a world that is a constantly changing song and dance. We just hear one single monotonous tone all the time. And as I'm saying this, I'm thinking, God, I'm making the world sound awful. But... That's how I think we miss the element of that sacramental change. I think the good thing is, because we miss it, doesn't actually mean it's happening. So when we think about that event that happened to me when I was 18 years old, just because I, did, I, I missed it, just because I didn't quite understand it, just because I didn't have a supportive community around it, didn't mean to say that the sacramental moment didn't happen. It may have taken me, uh, if I'm thinking about it, it took me 30 years to appreciate what the sign was. But that didn't mean to say that the sign didn't happen. So I think when we talk about initiations and those transitions, and we become a bit, bit gloomy in saying we don't have a spiritual community around us to acknowledge and accept and be open about those, 
I think we also have to look at that bright, shining moment. Doesn't matter, really. Doesn't really matter because human beings have got to the point where they think that the only thing matters is they notice. Doesn't really matter because the sacrament has already happened. When, I, when I'm talking to students about spirit healing and they're conducting a ceremony or a ritual and they think that if they get the ceremony or the ritual wrong, the magic won't happen. I'm reminding them that the ceremony, the ritual is an acknowledgement, a celebration that something has already happened. I think that's where we have to come back to the way we live our lives. That we notice what has happened, not look for things, events, experiences to make things happen. And even if we miss them, we're not... Tom Cohen, in one of his books, um, which I'm trying desperately to read through, but I keep getting stuck on one page. Tom Cohen's books are a bit like that. You read it and you think, this is such a good thing. I've got to read it over and over again. And he was saying he was doing that thing, uh, you know, if a tree falls in a forest, does, does anyone hear it? And I remember thinking, I've heard that so many times. And always had different answers. But I closed the book and I went away and thought about it and I thought, who am I to actually say whether the tree makes a noise or not? What has it got to do with human ears? Of course the tree makes a sound when it falls. And who cares if it doesn't? I can't look at a tree falling from my perspective. You know, it doesn't make a noise if I don't hear it, if a human being doesn't hear it. I think things happen without the need for us to be... attentive. It would be wonderful if we were. And the whole point of building shamanic community is so that we will get back to those days. All traditions talk about the first times when we weren't involved in goals, where we weren't involved in trying to be better than everyone else. We just looked at that small environment we lived in and our relationship with was was with that and it was a quiet and we noticed everything and magic wasn't something that someone did magic was a way of living okay maybe we've forgotten that but even that even saying that statement that's just such a wonderful statement we've forgotten it that means that we can remember it again i've got a feeling i'm standing on a soapbox oh, no. i'm talking too much. <laughs> But it's a lovely soapbox. Um, it is something, though, that has come up in many different ways in, in each of these calls, which is the way I talk about it with my students is you can pay attention to whatever you want to, but the truth is your soul and your life are conspiring to get you Absolutely. to remember why you're here <laughs> and mm-hmm. to do it. Mm-hmm. As you said, one aim, many targets. And that, mm-hmm. and that conspiracy is always what's going on. Whether or not you choose to participate is a whole different choice. Um, but that is the thing is that our life, not necessarily, our life is not necessarily always trying to transform us into shamans because not everybody is. But our life is always trying to transform us from childhood to adulthood. And then in that adulthood, transform us into the person who has that aim, that one aim. And so I think that you know a lot of what you're saying is is exactly that that 
whether we pay attention or not, our life is still conspiring with our soul to, to get us to get with the program. <laughs> and we can be distracted by a million other programs. But there's really mm-hmm. only one thing going on here. And there's only, there is one reason that we're here. And without that, there's not a whole lot of point. And so um, f- for me, I feel like it is our missing that, that is at the root of so much of our, what I just call mental unwellness. Mm-hmm. And that leads to a lot of the other sicknesses of our culture is that we just have lost that. And that, and that to, the other thing I notice in people is, is they say, well, then I need that spiritual community to do that. And then they hold their entire life hostage <laughs> while they wait for the community to show up. <laughs> you know, it's like, Absolutely. well, uh, but the reality is your soul and your life are here right now. For every single one of us individuals, even if we never found a community to be part of, that we are here in communion. We can be here in communion with our soul and with our life and that we can engage with those energies and participate in this um, initiatory experience that is actually going on potentially all the time. We just have to choose to notice, as you said, to notice those moments and to – What's kind of interesting that I actually would like to talk about now because you brought it up and then we went on to other things. But that question of even in the spontaneous rituals, are they not actually being set up somewhere else by something else? I fought back sometimes. Why did this happen you know, to me at this time in my life? What, what was I doing prior um, that provoked that event? Not that I was in control of the event, but – why me? You know, what is like you said, the, the question, you know, there was that question in your head. If you hadn't had that question in your head, it would have just been another time going through that same. Process. So maybe what we, maybe what we can say here, um, whilst you were talking, uh, there are thoughts rushing in my head and I'm thinking, Oh, I, Oh, I've lost that. Or oh, if I could remember that. And of course, there's the contrivance here. I am trying to think of something very clever to say, and I keep forgetting and so when I just step back and think, okay, oh my gosh, that's what I'm supposed to say. When we talk about initiation, is it not just a moment to say, I've remembered? I may not have remembered the whole historical universe since the time before time to this moment, but I've remembered something. And if we're going to look at transition, it's not, it's, I was going to say it's not something that happens, but I think what happens is there's a moment of remembering. And that is the intimate relationship between our soul, spirit, and then maybe the rest of the community. I think it's that moment of remembering. That's initiation. I'm feeling quite comfortable about that. That remembering in a sense, because it, it's, a, it's a mental process. Remembering isn't a thing you do. We, we don't actually remember we've remembered until after the fact. So remembering is that process of thinking, I now know this. I've now noticed that. I remember what it was I was supposed to be doing. That means if we look at that at a logical way, someone, something has contrived that moment. And I, I, I feel quite content that when I do forget, 
I'm sitting in a church thinking, what am I doing here? Look, this amazing thing happens. These amazing things happen. Initiation is remembering that actually the community already exists. It might not be physically around us. Maybe it is. Maybe we just don't notice. Maybe we've forgotten. But it's remembering that we are part of a greater community that's not dependent on our physical being. That's just sometimes just a distraction. But that's just the vehicle by which we move through this reality. But when I come home and I get out of my car, the reality of driving around in a car and its relationship to the world is different to the reality of me walking around inside my house. And I think we have to appreciate that we're already in that community. We're already part of a community that is reminding us about how we are growing and changing and fulfilling our destinies. We just get lost in how unimportant is that? Oh, it's just a memory. Oh, it's just, mm -hmm. maybe we become too analytical. Maybe we think, well, that's got to have a deeper meaning. You know, I saw this, it's got to have a deeper meaning. No, seeing it is the meaning. Uh, I, had a, I had a student and his wife, and they would constantly come into class, always late, always a bit flustered, and they'd say, we've seen a dead crow. Uh, then they'd seen two dead crows and then they'd seen a bunch of crows. And then every time they came to class, they would look really distressed because they'd seen crows. And they would be worrying and concerned and buying books and looking up things on the Internet to find out what crows meant. And often looking at the quite dire consequences of seeing crows. Now, we live in B.C. Crows are a bit like air to breathe. They're the most common thing around. And I said, well, why don't you just appreciate that you're seeing a crow and how that makes you feel? Not what does it mean, but how does it make you feel? And I think we forget that. We forget to feel for the moment. And initiation is a reminding that we've forgotten. And now we remember when we stand there at our initiation ceremonies and we have all those crazy things happen to us. Those things are pretty spectacular. There's a community watching. But it's almost a surrender to that greater spiritual community, a, a surrendering to your destiny, a surrendering to all those folks who packed your soul bags and put you on the train to earth and so that you would do what it is that you planned before you got here. And the initiation ceremony is their means by, of saying, don't forget. Don't forget. That's why we pack the extra pair of pants in your bag. That's what you hear. <laughs> so, John Luke, one thing that you do offer uniquely um, as a guest here on the show is that you do have a community that you are tending that is moving through a formal process of training and initiations. And <laughs> I was just wondering, now that you've been at it for a few years, and <laughs> People are basically going through, quote unquote, the same process. But have you noticed as you observe people out on the other side of the process, if the initiation affects people differently? Or I don't know. When is you there say a affects range? people, do you, do you mean, I mean the people more like, 
is there a range of the transformation where some people are completely changed by it and go off in some new direction and others, it's as if nothing happened, perhaps. I'm just curious. Um, I think there are people who go off and, I, you know, I, I have, um, and I'm hoping they're not going to listen to the show. <laughs> they should listen to the show. Um, and I remember her standing up at her final graduation. So this is like the moment before initiation. So the, the initiation ceremonies are, are big and they have to go to those. So this is, you know, she's come to the end of her training and she came and she accepted her ritual objects and she accepted her certificate and she turned and looked at everyone who'd gathered there and said, I am so glad that's over. I don't think I've changed and I don't feel any different. And there was this, there was this gasp, considering that she had her back to me, she couldn't see my face, but there was this gasp. And, you know, we just let her go on. Other people went forward. And I saw her afterwards and I said, so nothing's changed and things happened. And she then gave me this list of things that she was now involved in that mm-hmm. she couldn't possibly have been involved before. And I drew her attention to that. But what's more spectacular is those that gasped were now saying, because of that, this is what they were going to do. They were going to look at things differently. They were not going to be her. They were going to be different. And so I believe that initiation is not just about the person, whether they believe anything's happened or not. It's that thing. It's that It's that. Being in that church, well, I'm not sure what's happened. Uh, it was spectacular. I feel emotional. And 30 years later, I'm thinking, maybe that was one of the pivotal moments of my life. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about the other people in that church with me. Maybe they've all become gurus or maybe they've all become mass murderers. I think that initiation is, you know, when you started off and you were talking about our society, initiation is dropping a pebble. Now, as the pebble hits the water, that might be me being initiated. The ripples are the remembrances, the connections that are made because that event happened. So do people change? Sometimes you see spectacular things. And sometimes they're more seductive. They're more innocuous. They're more fragile. But I think they're just as powerful and I think they still happen. Because if what we're talking about is that everything is a contrivance, that we are the vehicles, the way for spirit to maintain and manifest its destiny. I don't think that the spirits would actually allow someone not to change. You know, the, the, the very, that gentle form of those very subtle ripples that go out from the person who says nothing's happened is a way that spirit is reaching people who can't deal with the sudden great tsunami of spiritual awareness. So, I think when we're talking about it, I think something always happens. I think something always changes. It may take a little while for us to realize that. So long as we stop standing in the way of spirit. Because some, one of the things that has happened, that someone has resisted that process, and they have become unwell. And that's, that's not just in our tradition, but if you actually look at some of the more lineage and the more pri- primitive traditions... People who refuse the process of spiritual transition and initiation, they actually get sick. There's a, there's a group somewhere, I may have got this from your book, you know, uh, just plug your book there, 
But there is a there is a tribe in Africa that if the apprentice shaman refuses to take initiation, oh, they kill him. Because what was the point? They just kill him. A new one will come along, and you know, and his blood goes into the earth, and that creates the the seeding for the new one to come back. Because this one, this one couldn't remember so let's find one that can remember that's a bit harsh i tend not to kill my apprentices although they think i do and i think that's the point i think we're just the vehicles so something always happens something always changes sometimes it's subtle and if we resist you know who's not to say that killing this man because he wasn't going to be a shaman isn't the means by which the spirits have contrived for a change to happen on earth i can only see things that are directly in front of me but every ripple reaches far beyond my experience. And I think when we're talking about the way people change, it's that aim and target thing again. Don't focus on the point, the instant, the instant second the event happens. The event is a sacrament. It's a continuation of this movement of the spirit's through our soul process, through the earth's soul process, through the community soul process. Hey, we're all in it together. We might as well just get used to that. Um, each time you talk about the aim and the target, I, I keep laughing because my um, essay to get into college was the question as to whether the journey or the destination mattered the most. <laughs> <laughs> I just keep laughing every time you bring it up. Um, I so don't know. We, so... Um, it's very interesting that here we are in the last interview, the end, the end of the last interview of this series, and in some ways you've circled us back around to the hypothesis of the beginning, which I find really fascinating, which was bringing up the, you know, what happens if we resist. So if we accept the idea that the soul and life are conspiring at all times, and the initiations are certainly trying to happen, but if we use our free will to effectively resist that, which people are quite capable of doing, then they get mm-hmm. sick. And that's, that's true. That idea is true in many shamanic traditions. But perhaps that's the point in terms of this whole just childhood to adulthood kind of initiation is that as we culturally – not only as individuals resist that, those initiatory experiences, but also start building a culture around creating a life so that you don't actually have to grow up. Um, maybe we are inviting an illness, a, a, just a, a spiritual state of soul illness by in, in, um, creating a cultural norm for not growing up, a cultural value for not growing up. Um, it's, it's very interesting to me that you've circled around in that way. Um, because maybe that's true. It's just, you know, with the shamans, it was dramatic. I mean, they either died or went crazy or got killed, but with Mm -hmm. humans, maybe it's just not so dramatic. But then if we look at, you know, America, the Prozac nation, maybe it is dramatic. I think it's a lot more dramatic than we know. You know, the amount of adults that come and see me for my, um, conventional psychology, you know, one of they're always talking about when they sit in front of me, I'm seeing people who have not grown up. And there's a fear of growing up. There's a pain of growing up. There's a there's an illness because they no one is no one is there saying all you have to do is cross this river. And when we talk about 
spiritual initiation, shamanic initiation, psychological initiation, there's a moment where you have to leave something behind. That's always painful. It's resisting that pain because this side of the river is more comfortable. And I think we're in a society where a lot of us are, are, are ill because it's more comfortable this side than to cross that river. And maybe that's the reason why there is, maybe that's the reason why you and I are talking. Maybe that's the reason why shamanism, the more primitive, the more primal spiritual uh, belief systems, practices are coming back because all the rest were far too intellectual and intellect will reason the river. We just say, if you drown, you drown, but we're coming behind you anyway. It's, it's that idea of uh, that strange thing in, in nature where uh, an animal will create countless offspring given the fact that only a few will survive to child to adulthood. They don't con- get concerned about that. As humans, we'll think that's pretty awful. Oh, those poor little things, they died. Well, that's how the spirit works. We have to step out of our heads and actually just appreciate that all initiation is painful. All initiation is difficult. And if we stay on this side, actually we get sick. We get sick because this is not where we're meant to be. We're meant to be on the other side. Once we're on the other side, it's not to say we still can't be children. I think we have to cross this river. And initiation is remembering that the river might be uncomfortable, might be painful, but it is our destiny. And society has got stuck in trying to stay on this side of the river. So on that note, which is quite beautiful, uh, we need to close here today. So I'm going to suggest to the listeners that you, in your own meditation, in your own practice, that you sit for a moment. Actually, I suggest you stand and slowly revolve 360 degrees and find the river that is flowing past you in this moment. The river that on the other side is your destiny. And challenge yourself to step out into that river. And it may be a small momentary initiation. It may take you on a great and long path. But for every one of us, that river is there. We just need to walk into it and not away from it. So, Jean-Luc, thank you so much for joining me here today and sharing your wisdom with us. I give thanks to the ancestors for joining us, the earth below, the sky above, and the heart that unites us all. Thank you all for listening. And next week, I will reflect on all of these guests that have joined us and see if we can make some sense out of initiation and how we might, as a culture, uh, go forward and begin to cure our cultural illness. So thank you very much, Jean-Luc, and thank you everyone for listening, and have a great week.